Hello everyone and welcome back to the Film Score Podcast. Today my guest is Raphael Thibault, or just Raph, as she prefers to be called. Raph actually took an unorthodox approach into film music, studying music when she was younger, graduating I think from a conservatory, completely changing career paths for about a decade, and then eventually moving into film music, film, documentary, TV, etc., And she's primarily been working in documentaries, making some lovely scores for projects such as Secrets of the Whales, Introducing Selma Blair, and the piece that we talk about the most during this interview, Mama's Boy, which is an adaptation of the memoir of Academy Award-winning screenwriter Dustin Lance Black, which is a really powerful, interesting, emotional documentary, and an equally powerful and resonant score, really caught me by surprise and I think has helped to further my appreciation for music for documentaries, something that I think has been quite underrated for a long time. So we talk about Mama's Boy, we talk about some of Roth's inspirations, such as 60s and 70s Italian and French scores in particular. We talk about documentary music and, of course, the various other tangents that my interviews are prone to take. Of course, you can find out more about Roth on her various social media or her website, and of course, you can do the same for me. Now, I might be taking a little break after my next interview, which is an excellent one. I don't really want to release an episode right in the midst of the winter holidays, but I haven't decided on that yet. We'll see. You'll find out in about two weeks. But if that's the case, hopefully your ears can handle my absence. But until then... Sit back and I hope you enjoy. Raf, thank you so much for joining me. How have you been? Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm great. I've been good. Thank you. Of course. Have you been, you know, I know um, Mama's Boy, your latest project, came out not too long ago. I think the score In was... October. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So has that given you a chance to unwind and relax or do you already have something else that you're working on? Oh, I wish. Yeah, no, usually, usually projects are kind of overlapping. Um... Mm. And I, I always try to have those breaks in between two projects, but I find it really, really hard because it's, it's just like, you know, the schedule usually is being extended and there's delays and then some projects require me to work earlier than expected. So it's never really possible, <laughs> at least for me, to schedule ahead of time. Um, but yeah, no, I've been, I was actually working on, three different projects at the same time. So when Mama's Boys was wrapped, it was a while ago, though. Uh, We wrapped it, like, a year ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, and then it took some time to just, like, be released and air on HBO. But, yeah, I I had time to work on, like, four other projects since I I was done with Mama's Boys. So it never... It's really weird. Like, it's never... Like, the schedules and release timing never matches the right your own schedule as a composer so sometimes you work on something and two years after it got, you know it gets a release and then you had time to work on three different projects that were released before so it's really strange it's never, never really matches with the situation like you take mama's boy where if the film had wrapped a year ago you might have finished mm-hmm. your score even earlier and then it's kind of sitting mm-hmm. like are you sitting there being like when is this going to get released i want this out yeah Actually, for this one in particular, yes. It's not always the case for all projects. Some are closer to my heart than others. I think it's the same for any composer. But that one was 
that one was very special. I was very excited when I knew that it would air on HBO and, and, and then we had to wait quite a bit to get the release timing. Yeah, I was very looking forward to it. And I really, really wanted soundtracks out for, mm. for, for the film. And it's, again, not always the case. I don't believe that all scores that I do deserve necessarily a soundtrack, but I, I found that that one was so special for everyone, including the score for all, like the, the whole team. We really wanted to have a soundtrack. So I was really excited about that too. What goes into the thought process of whether a score of yours, you know, in your opinion, should have its separate release or just exist in the confines of the, the film or the documentary? Nah, that that's a that's a great question. But actually it it really it really differs from a project to another. It's never the same. And for example, for Secrets of the Whales, um, the series that I did for Disney Plus and James Cameron, it was very straightforward from the beginning. Like, actually, National Geographic people told me from the day I started that we want a soundtrack out of it. Music is going to be really important. We want to push it. So I knew from the moment I started that it would be, the music would be so important. So, of course, there would be a score, like a soundtrack's out. And for other projects, you kind of have to ask for it and, you know, fight a little bit. to, to, Yeah, it happens too. And usually, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to make a rule out of, because it really is just my experience, but it really, it really is different every time. But for most projects, I got the support from everyone to push for soundtracks and find a great label when it was not an in-house, you know, uh, label to have them out. So, yeah. Interesting. I mean, and I'm, I'm sure there's some reasoning from producers or studios as to why they'd push back. But I do think that documentary scores still get less attention than mm-hmm. those for film and scores for TV and video games have gotten a lot of a lot more popular in the last few years too. Why do you think that documentary music isn't quite as popular as those mm. other three? And do you think that'll change? I th- I think it is changing. I I I don't know. I think historically documentary music has been kind of, you know, laid back a little bit because there's just there's just so much narration. There's just so much talking, talking heads and people being interviewed. And there's there's usually a lot going on. And I think that it might be the reason why for a long time documentary music has been not as prominent than the, for in the fiction world. But I really, really do believe it's changing. Uh, I really think it's, it's, it's been actually switching like a while ago already, we saw documentaries getting so much traction from a music perspective, and especially maybe in the world of wild documentaries. When you think about Blue Planet or Planet yeah. Earth or all the Ansemer, you know, and Annie's folks scores that they did for all those big documentaries and, you know, docuseries and stuff, I think it definitely is more important now. And actually, it's interesting that you ask this question because for Mama's Boy... It was very different from anything I experienced in documentaries before because my director, Laurent, he's obsessed with the music in his films and he only does documentaries. I mean, at least so far, he's been mostly doing that. But still, music for him has to be theme-driven, like like melodies, and it mm-hmm. has to be very, very important and have to be, if not central, and I remember the first conversations that we had about Mama's Boys was all about that. He told me, I want you to 
write a score the way you would write a score for a dramatic fiction movie. Um, and I loved the challenge. And I started, and even at the beginning, he was telling me, just go further, push it, push it. And I was like, I'm not used to it with documentaries, but okay, I will. And then I ended up having this score that is heavily themed. Like there's maybe four or five themes all around the mother's theme, who, mm -hmm. who is the centerpiece of the film. But it's, it, it's interesting because I had to switch gear and, and really switch the way I was thinking about music and documentaries. And it was, it felt so good. <laughs> it felt really good. It felt really good because I could really unleash all my influences also because we, Laurent and I have, maybe it's because he's French-American, but we have the same influences in terms of music, film music, very old school <laughs> influences, you know, from the 70s, uh, Europe, European movies from the 70s and 60s. And so I could unleash, you know, the, all my root influences from Philippe Sard or, you know, uh, Georges Delarue or all these European composers, French composers from the 70s that really deeply shaped me creatively. There's like three different things I want to ask about right now. I can't <laughs> ask them all at once, unfortunately, or else it'd be like the messiest question in the world. But on the aspect of influences, what is it about that music, 60s, 70s, French, and I think um, some, you know, it Italian composers as well at the mm -hmm, time influenced mm -hmm, you. Mm -hmm. uh, like, yeah. What is it about those styles in that era that, that you latched on to and I think that is different from what you're finding, you know, either in contemporary film music mm. or in film music coming out of America? I think um, that's such an, an interesting question because most of the influences that I'm mentioning, it's like a subconscious process. I just mm -hmm. realized after a while, because my mom or any, you know, someone's going to tell me, oh, I heard some like Cosma or Newman or, oh, or some Dolorue in this. I was like, what? Oh, wow. And I listened to it again and I'm like, okay. So most of it is subconscious. So I wouldn't say that there is a conscious process in me using my influences. But I think that what I love about those, there, there's two things, like the Italian composers from the 1670s, you know, all the composers of this famous Cinecita Studios, uh, Spaghetti Westerns, they were crafting incredibly wild scores. They were so daring. Like, you know, it would all span everything from jazz to funk, wild exotica or psychedelic electronic, and still staying, remaining very dramatic and emotional. Things got really funky back then, and I th I think it's just <laughs> so interesting and so out of the box, and I just couldn't stop listening to them. Um, and and Morricone is one of them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Bruno Nicolai, Piero Umiliani, all those composers who got really wild and and were really out of the box uh, back then. And I I just think it's it's wonderful, and maybe sometimes we don't dare enough, uh, at least a little less than before. I mean, I'm not the kind of person who's going to say that, oh, past was better. That, that, I'm, not, I'm not in that group, but um, I do believe that there was a lot of, yeah, wild things going on back then. And I guess the French composers, it's more about going for those heavily emotionally significant love themes on guitar, piano, lush strings. It just feels like they were not afraid of thriving in emotions. Mm. And 
I I just love that. That's what happened with Mama's Boy, where I was like, I don't want to go too dramatic or too cheesy. And he was like, I don't care. Just do it. And and it felt really good because of the love that I have for those scores that were, yeah, that would, today we would say that they're cheesy scores, but I just, I just like it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love what you're saying about how wild and daring some of those scores are. I've been watching a fair amount of like 60s and 70s Japanese samurai movies lately. Oh, good for you. <laughs> and and some of those are the exact same where they're set in the 1800s or something and you're expecting something very straight-faced like a lot of traditional classical Japanese instrumentation. Mm-hmm. Like they're throwing jazz and funk and psychedelia mm. in there too. It's like impossible to write or talk about because it's all over the place and yet... <laughs> It's like the most wild, fun experience. Right. Do you think that there's still room for that kind of daring or or people from the producers, studios, directors would be open to that? Or do you think at this point mm. it requires the perfect project for mm. doing things a little weird like that? I I really don't know. I'm I'm there is a talent for it, that's for sure. I'm so impressed by the amount of talent out there. It's like so humbling. All those contemporary, you know, film composers. I mean, coming from the band world or there's so much talent out there and so many polymath geniuses Mm. who go from a genre to another and, you know, mix jazz with, you know, more contemporary sounds and electronic sounds and there, so the talent is definitely there. I think the room there's room for that too. Um, it probably requires to have all the people, like all the planets aligned, I would say. <laughs> so all the people like agreeing on, you know, in the room, agreeing on the fact that they want to go out of the box. I think there's just a lot of process, like there are a lot of times where the people in the room are like, oh yeah, we really want to go outside of the box. We really want to do something that's weird and new. And, and maybe, you know, as time goes by like we kind of always go back to something that's like more safe i i don't know but i i know i do believe that a lot of people are into new sounds and 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 being more daring these days i'm not i'm super optimistic about this and i hear it actually um and when i hear uh nope for example mm. there's some tracks some cues in that score that are mixing so many different things and i i don't know and i, just, I think it's he's he's a genius but it's just an example of people who are willing to do that. Yeah, and jumping back to something else that you said about the the French composers of the 60s and 70s, <laughs> and while you called some of that music, like you said, people can think about it as being cheesy now. No, yeah. I think that's a little unfair. I think it's like being very sincere and open with emotion, mm-hmm. with people being more ironic or reticent to address those, like... That's where I think the label of cheesiness comes from. Mm-hmm. I think there's a, a blurry line between something being sin- like emotionally sincere and being like really schmaltzy or saccharine <laughs> or over the top that you know yeah. makes yeah, you roll your eyes. Yeah, and I think that the, the concern is always very valid, which is we don't want to manipulate the audience too much. Like we, it, it, it comes from like a place where we want to be more subtle and not be, you know, avoid manipulation. And then we don't want to lead the audience too much. And I think it's equally important. So absolutely. But it's, it, it's funny that for Mama's Boy, really, 
there was nothing really to manipulate about. Like it was, it was straight, like it was just straight forward. The story is beautiful, sad, heavy, and the topic is also very serious. And there was nothing to be manipulated about. And, and I think that's also the reason why we could go and lash out the emotions. It was not, not really a problem. But it, it, it's also in the instrumentation where I would go minimal and then mm-hmm. Laurent would keep saying, just add more. I want more <laughs> layers. I want more instruments. So like, this is going to be really big. And he's like, I don't care. <laughs> so it was also from an instrumentation perspective that he wanted to be like, I want it to be a cinematic score. So... And it was the challenge because it's still very intimate. Like the, the documentary is extremely intimate. It is. And it, I mean, especially because so much of it is told through, literally through Dustin Lance Black, uh-huh. like yeah. in his own words, that alone makes it feel so much more personal. Oh, but yeah. it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting, too, you mentioning that the director wanted to keep making things bigger because mm-hmm. I think when you listen to the score, that main theme, Anne's theme, mm-hmm. it really stands out to you, especially when it's like done on the piano. You can very easily only hear that. And then I was listening to it on headphones early this morning, and then there's like all sorts of other pieces in the background. <laughs> there is a lot going on, but it's also, it doesn't feel big and overwhelming. Epic, yeah. Exactly. It, it still yeah. keeps that intimacy. So like, how did you strike the balance of going beyond just the solo piano, but Mm. keeping that feeling still tight-knit and intimate. Mm. Well, first of all, that's a very, that's the best compliment that you can give me about this score, (laughs) because that was exactly the challenge. And, and so I'm, I'm glad it worked out. I think the fact that it was a almost a hundred percent all in a box score, only the guitar has been recorded for the score. I had to play around a lot with textures and electronic elements, which is always do anyway. I just love mixing traditional vintage elements with electronic. But I guess it all started with a piano, and then I would just add layers of strings and more electronic elements. And then as soon as I would stay into these very intimate cycles of themes, and stay around the mother's theme, it, 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 it feels like I would never go too wild and too big mm-hmm. because the theme itself cannot really go epic. So I don't know. It, I guess that's how I did it, but I'm not sure how to answer that. I'm not sure how I did it, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I did. Um, the funny part is also that there's actually, I think if I remember well, five different tracks of piano just on Mama's Boy's suite Mm. Um, because it played the theme and then I added other themes that also played on the piano. So it's like five to six different layers of piano. It's just the velocity is different every time and also the the patterns are different. So they kind of like complement each other's. But yeah, there's a lot going on and there's also like those large strings and even woodwinds that you can hear it sometimes. So it, yeah, there's a lot going on, but I think that the intimacy of the theme and the warmth of the theme kind of helped with not getting too big and too, and too epic, as you said. That makes sense. And staying on the theme, you had mentioned earlier that it was a different experience for you scoring a documentary with a very thematic approach. Did you have any initial pitfalls or obstacles or initial 
themes that you tried to work with that just didn't work? I, I wouldn't say themes, but I know that the first draft that I sent Laurent, he definitely said, it's great, but that's not what I'm after. Because it was more in the vein that, in the vein of the score that I had, di- I had done for Selma Blair's documentary right before, which is deeply intimate as well and emotional, but very minimal in comparison to Mom's Boy. And because we had talked a lot about Selma, and also he had used a lot of uh, my tracks, my cues for Selma as temp tracks for Mama's Boy, I really thought that it would be kind of in the same vein. But then I realized that, yeah, no, he, he wanted something much bigger. And that's when really think more thoroughly about themes helped. Actually, just coming, coming up with themes helped a lot to match his expectations. So I, I remember writing this first theme uh, the most important one for the mother and the ones that actually opens the documentary. And I remember like having the intentions of having this theme and have like maybe three, four other themes for the other members of the family, like there's at least the ones that are prominent in the documentary. And that's also what Laurent wanted. But then I ended up just staying around the mother's theme. And one way or another, all the themes that you can hear in the score kind of go back to the mother theme and I think it's because subconsciously again I think she is so central she's never there we 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 only see her own pictures and Mm. occasional videos family videos but she's so present in in the film and I kind of wanted that for the music too so having these these the, the centerpiece theme and everything else revolving around it so basically if you would put like if like a I don't know the English word for it, like a fugue, like you just add all the layers, of the, all the different themes, and they all work together. All the other themes are the kids of the centerpiece theme, which is the mother. That's and and it's really funny because it was not something that I calculated. It kind of happened, and and it was really interesting. And I know that you know you, you said part of that was subconscious, or at least not what you were initially setting out to do, mm-hmm. but. Having the the mother's theme so present and prevalent while we never actually see her in person, really, was that also a way to kind of give her some extra presence Mm -hmm. and life in the film? Absolutely. Absolutely. So there's the big one, the big theme, the full theme that you can hear at the beginning. And then I used a very small portion of that theme. And maybe it's just a, a motive for three key moments of the film that are not directly her as in like it's about her it's more about her legacy and you know how she played this major role in 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 Lance's life and basically it's when he was born the way she looks at him and then it comes back when he comes out and she rejects him the first time and it comes back again when she accepts him and then one more time when she passes away. And it's, it, it was not necessarily the mother theme, but it was a very, very small portion of it. So she'll still there, but not through this full theme. I think that's why it's like she's, she's so present throughout the documentary. So obviously, thanks to Lance's words and, and the editing and, and Laurent's direction, but I also think that the music is like kind of implementing her presence all throughout in more and less obvious ways. 
you know, I, I assume that Lance was involved throughout the documentary broadly, but did he have any involvement or feedback on the music itself? Especially because it it does play such an important role, and and like we've said, it mm. it kind of uh, represents his mother at times as his well. His family, yeah, yeah. So he was not involved in the in the production of the film because I think he didn't want to. Um, mm. He was not a producer on the film, and he was. I mean, he obviously he he, he said it like he obviously saw a few uh, cuts and uh, rough cuts. Uh, so he he was involved in that in that regard, but he was not producing. But I know that we had a discussion after the premiere and I, I asked him, I asked him if, I didn't ask him, I just said, I, I hope I pay tribute to your family. I, I hope the music was paying tribute to your family because it was my, it was my goal. And also the soundtracks has his actual family members' names on it. Yeah. You know, his husband and his, his brother, his, his father-in-law, uh, not, not father-in-law, stepdad. So, it's it's very personal. And he he definitely loved it and said that there was no doubt about it, and that really was a big relief to me. And the same the same was for Selma Blair's documentary, and she was the sweetest, like so supportive. And but I was also scared of how intimate I would go with my score into their personal lives. For Selma, it was her traumatic experiences and her son. And then for Lance, it was his mother, his brother passing away, and and all those things that 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 were major traumas, and and also you know major moments in their lives, and like really important people in in their lives. I was really scared that I would not capture it well, <laughs> uh, but I, apparently I did I I did succeed. <laughs> so it was it was it was a big relief for me because I don't know if you ever go so far like you definitely never in the fiction world right and i don't know if you go so far in in even in the documentary worlds with people's life and so deep into their personal lives and it was the case for me with mama's boys and selma blair and i felt very humbled and and grateful to be able to do it and i'm glad i did it well <laughs> from what they say <laughs> is that extra rewarding having that sort of reaction and knowing that you're starting with an additional challenge of making sure that you're doing justice to these people's lives. Mm -hmm. And then when you finish up and come out on the other end, like finding out that they've given it their personal stamp of approval. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely, it definitely is to me. It's, it's paramount. Like even if the movie is good and, you know, applauded by the critics and it's great. And if the persons I've, wrote about because really it's about that I just wrote about them and their personal lives and traumas if they're not happy with it to me it would be a total failure mm. so it was it was such a relief and because in both documentaries by the way even Selma Selma was not producing either so it was it was really at the end and after it was wrapped and and the score was finished that I I really had a proper conversation with them and met them and and every time it was yeah it was such a relief like that, you know, everybody's happy in the production side, the director, everybody's super happy and we're having the soundtracks and it's great. But also the people you are actually writing about yeah. and, you know, their family members, like you want them to be happy too. So, yeah. Well, I think that's that's such an interesting distinction because if you're working on a fiction TV show or film or even most documentaries, you know, a, mm. a 
planet Earth or something. As long as you're doing what the director wants or the the showrunner or something like that's that's your job is to make sure you're advancing their vision but Mm -hmm. with with those two like yes obviously that's still important but then you have those people that yeah out but like but they're not involved in the day-to-day or in the production (laughs) at all and that has to be like such a daunting worry hanging over your head until you know Absolutely. It's a challenge on top of the other ones. It's, it definitely is. But, but it, it doesn't feel, I guess, I don't know, for me in my experience, it, did, it, it never really felt real until I actually met them. And I think I was kind of in denial. But I was like, I'm not going to think about what they think about my music. Otherwise, I'm, I will not, I'm not going to be able to write at all. Mm. I don't know them personally, so I can't really be in their shoes right now. So I'm going to have to just, you know, trust the vision of my directors and producers. But then I think that no matter what you do at the end of the day, if you put your heart at it and you come from a genuine place and you really feel like you owe, you know, you, you understand their stories and how they feel, for them it's just wonderful to have someone writing their life in music. And no matter what you do at the end of the day, they, they feel grateful about it, I think. And mm. Who wouldn't want to have someone writing the score of their life, you know? <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so it's it's it's. Um, I was not expecting that, and that was the the surprise. I really thought that it would stay quite formal and and like very professional. And actually, it didn't, especially with Salma, where I, I know she was really moved by the score, and I know it really touched her deeply. And and we still talk about it. And mm. so, so it's it is definitely not something that I was expecting. And that's what happens when you tackle like real life personal issues and yeah. stories. It's just the most genuine story and feelings and emotions, and it's very raw. I, gu- I guess that's what I love the most about what I did with those two documentaries is that it was really raw and real. And yeah, and it felt good. And it felt strange, with, especially with Selma, because I had posters of her in my when I was a child so really it's it really feels weird now to just <laughs> chat with her and you know and be like okay it's uh it's 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 special it's very special oh, I bet that's that's great <laughs> and so moving away from talking more about the thematic side of things you know, one thing in mama's boy is there's a, a significant amount of music throughout the film <laughs> but a lot of the film itself is dialogue talking driven but the underscore during it is still melodic, the themes are going. So how did you figure out the balance of mm. having a, a melodic underscore during those sequences that was going to be notable, but also not drawing attention from the story that Lance and his friends and family are telling? Mm-hmm. I think it, it's just I used the same recipe that I had used on, on Selma, except with more instruments. It's just that I... I wanted it to be saying a lot without saying too much and basically having this powerful themes. And that's where the challenge really was the most difficult. It was that I had to find those themes that were uh, memorable and powerful enough to be able to remember them, but also themes that would allow me to use as little instruments as you know I could still making it very powerful and emotional, but keeping it minimal as much as I could. And I 
grand scheme thing because again Laurent was telling me to do exactly right. not that he was still <laughs> asking me to to just just to do more um but yeah I just had to find a way to write things that were powerful enough and very heavily emotional so I don't have to rely on too many instruments mm. and that's where I think for worse better or worse like the piano is always the best choice for that I find it's it's very intimate it can depending on the mic position and and the mix like the piano can be extremely warm say a lot but be very minimal and it's very different if you use a cello for example even a solo cello it, it's gonna say a lot of again it's my feeling that it's gonna say more it's gonna tell more in terms of emotions than a piano can do So the piano helped me a lot with that, uh, which was also great because we couldn't record anything. So it was great. And obviously the, the, the guitar also was, was great because it's never, it's never like going all over the place with the guitar. It's always kind of like accents or, you know, small motives or notes here and there. And that also helps, like just being sporadic with the use of, of instruments. But yeah, it was, it was quite a challenge. What was it that drew you to having a guitar and especially recording one? Just because it's it's an instrument that I I you know started playing when I was a kid, but it's also oh, something that yeah. I still don't think you necessarily hear in film music that often. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that's that's where you know my influence like Philippe Saad kicked mm -hmm. in, and a lot of his scores use a solo guitar, and I really really wanted that sound. This very old school solo guitar sound almost imperfect something that was not clean too clean sometimes even have it like out of tune a little bit just just because that's also how I feel when I listen to those soundtracks from the 1670s we definitely it, the, the mix everything was definitely less clean and I like that I really really like that and I wanted to to have that in the score And so the guitar to me was also a, an absolute go because I know Laurent wanted the guitar. And okay. he got, he had a score actually when he was, because Mama's Boys is, is a book um, originally, the, the memoir of Dustin Lance Black. And he, he wrote the book by, while listening a score from the 70s that had a solo classical guitar in it. So... He was very, very much influenced by that. So I knew that there was no way around the guitar. So <laughs> it was good news for me because, again, I wanted something that sounded like Philippe Sard. Um, and especially one score that I really love from him that's called Tess. And I wanted it to be in that universe. And, and so that's why I, I picked the guitar. But it, it's funny because I had never done that before. I had never done a score that was like a lead as a guitar-led score. So it was a first for me, and I really enjoyed it. I was very pleasantly surprised to, to hear it throughout. <laughs> I, always, I always get excited when I hear uh, I like you. classic guitar in particular. <laughs> yeah, we love classical guitar. We don't hear them enough. Ah, love it. Well, Rafa, I, I really appreciate you jumping on to chat, not just about Mama's Boy, but about all sorts of things, <laughs> 60s, 70s scores. Documentaries well, generally, I so I appreciate it. I was so fun. Time flew by. I don't even know. It is it is over yet? Wow. <laughs> so, so, wow. You know, if I if I had all the time in the world, I'd I'd let us chat for you know three oh, hours I could, until I could, until you told me that yeah. you uh you were bored and we needed to get out. <laughs> I would not get bored. I could talk scores <laughs> for like 
I don't know, hours without sleeping or eating. So, no, like, I'm with you on that one. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. It was, it was such, it was so lovely. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that.